0: The last screen I liked a lot, this one is, looks like a mess to me. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's,
1: <laughs> you know, all
0: of a sudden I'm talking about sales tax and then the next thing I'm talking about is non-physical shipment and I mean, I mean yeah. uh, it's just exactly. it's all over the place. Exactly. Let's plug another field in
2: there. Yeah. <laughs> Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone.
3: Welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. ERP systems get a bad rap for being biased towards manufacturing. So manufacturers must feel comfortable using the mainstream ERP systems out there, right? Well, at least that's not true for job shops. Job shops are unique in the way they think and work. They have a tendency to feel that they have unique business processes and workflow that require them to use a unique ERP system. But if you review the ERP systems that job shops typically appreciate, you'll begin to notice a trend that these ERP systems were created because the job shops were not willing to change how the other Manufacturing businesses ran. And that's probably the reason why most job shops very rarely cross the inflection point of 20 to 50 million dollars of lifestyle businesses. And one software that is extremely popular in the SMB job shop community is ECI M1, which promises a lot for them, but it's so unique and different that you might face migration issues if you ever grow to cross the inflection point. In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn to conduct an independent review of ECI M1's capabilities. We covered many grounds, including their strengths of functionality for job shops and why these capabilities were born to support the broken processes that job shops are not willing to change and streamline. Finally, We reviewed their screens, workflow, and key features such as scheduling, job manipulation, and bomb structures. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one vendor or the solution independently. And for today, we have a very interesting solution. It's called ECIM1. It used to be called M1ERP. We have a little bit of history from where they came from, who were the founders of the solution. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing all of that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, Principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Phil for his intro.
0: Hi, Sam. Hi, everybody. Phil Kerper, Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. Uh, we help our clients align their digital transformation investments with their core business and maximize results. And from the C-suite, I've had a lot of implementations of ERP and other other digital platforms. And I'm looking forward to this topic tonight. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Thank you so much for
3: being here, Phil. Dave, can I ask you to introduce yourself next?
1: Sure. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business working with leaders in the manufacturing space to help them create systems that. Uh, achieve operational excellence and come to you with more than 20 years of operations management and leadership experience uh, including some erp
3: implementations so excited to be here thanks for having me amazing thank you so much for being here dave uh andy can i ask you to introduce yourself next absolutely thanks sam
4: my name is andy pratico and uh, i'm affectionately known on this panel as the grizzled veteran i've been in the business for over 40 years I've worked with most, well, a lot of different ERP systems. I've got a tremendous amount of experience with most, including the one that we're going to be uh, investigating today. And I hope I can share some of my experience to for everyone. Thank you very much.
3: All right, amazing. Thank you so much for uh, being here, and the And if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys post your comments and questions. We typically try to cover them during the show. If we run out of time, then we'll make sure that you guys are going to receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the quick briefing of the ECI M1 solution. So just a quick recap, I think we have done some, I don't know how many sessions uh, we have done on ECI. I remember that we have done uh, the, the main vendor uh, briefing and ECI has a similar strategy as your app core app team, info for the most part. I think ECI is trying to follow the same footsteps uh, whatever uh, Infor had done like 20 years back. So right now they are acquiring very, very, very aggressively. Uh, I think two ERP vendors that are very aggressive in the acquisition market. Not this year, though. This year, uh, the overall acquisition has been silent and now people are going to be slightly more silent. Just because you know of the tightness of of cash uh, in the market for next 12 to 18 months so we will see how that goes some companies are sort of uh, in the mixed mode but there is uh, acquisition happening in the market so ECI was acquiring a lot last year when Apteen and Apicor were also active from the overall acquisition strategy perspective uh, ECI tries to play in that QuickBooks segment, and they are going to have purpose-built solution for that tiny segment uh, that is going to be somewhere around 5 to $20 million uh, business. I would uh, think that is going to be their sweet spot. Uh, similar to Epicore and uh, Infor, uh, they are going to have much bigger customers in general, but they have the purpose-built strategy for those segments. Most of the products that ECI has acquired so far, including some of the really good ones, okay, from the technology perspective, the cloud-native ones, for example, DCOM, ECI has DCOM as of today, and uh, they were one of the cloud-native solutions, one of the prettiest ones overall in the market, but they were very lean overall in terms of their capabilities and the features. So uh, I have always thought of ECI as that QuickBooks, uh, you know, segment player where if you are going to be on QuickBooks, obviously you have to either utilize a lot of different add-ons and you are not going to get the ERP functionality. If you are going to be on ECI, then you are going to get a lot more capabilities. Now, ECI M1 in their portfolio, they have a lot of different products for different industries, for different micro verticals. ECI M1 is one of the product and it is really targeted for job shops. So they have two or three different products. They are slightly overlapping overall, but this is going to be really for the job shops. When you are going to look at the product, it's going to have similar feel as you are going to get when you are going to look at products such as Genius or Pro Shop. And I don't know whether you guys recall from our Pro Shop conversation, uh, we were sort of confused overall in terms of their um, UI, the layout, and the same thing happened with Genius as well. So I'm probably going to have the similar feeling here. In some cases, okay, the purpose built ERP matters. We have seen that in the case of, let's say, Infor SXE, Infor uh, M3, Epicor Eclipse, uh, Epicor, uh which one am I missing here? Eclipse has very unique feature set that is really uh, applicable for those industries. But when you are going to be paying attention to the products that are really created for job shops, it almost seems like as if, you know, job shops were not willing to change. And the reason why they have created these products is because they were not willing. Um, So as such, uh, you know, from my perspective, I don't see much functionality in these products. And they seem to be just the rework of the same product, but doing things differently just because job shops are very different uh, the, the, the way they work is very different, especially the smaller ones, if they are going to be bigger ones, then they sort of learn the inventory, uh, you know, the way their processes are going to be. It's going to be very similar to other manufacturing shops, but the smaller job shops are very unique companies. They don't necessarily have the unique processes. They just feel that they are very unique, and that's why they feel that they require a very custom product, and that seems to be the the sort of the theme with these products, whether you t- talk about ECM1 Pro Shop or you talk about Genius. So I'm actually gonna pause there and then we'll go through our slides. If you guys have any commentary, uh, we can take that right now.
4: Yeah, Sam, would you mind just giving the audience a just a disc- a quick description of what the difference between a job
3: shop and an engineer to order manufacturer? So I am actually going to <laughs> send that question to either Phil or Dave uh first and then probably i I can touch phil or dave do you guys have any comments there by any chance
0: well well from i'll take i'll take that question kind of from the operating floor back a little bit so the 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 types of businesses the types of uh manufacturing that that i've seen referred to as job shops tend to be taking a a project let's say they're going to build a panel with a bunch of stuff in it and they're saying they're going to bid to build a thousand of those. They want to be able to understand generally what their costs are, and they're going to build them basically as those thousand panels in a couple cells. Usually smaller organizations. They're not they're not uh, passing that panel through a bunch of processing. They're trying to build it all in an area. Per job, so it's smaller manufacturing. It tends not to have process flow. It tends to be just a lot of things going on in an area, and the business is going through one job at a time. So the bidding process, and then the building process, and then the margin. There's some parts of that that's easier, David. That you know, you know, because it's all kind of confined, you can keep your head around the costs. But scheduling it. And saying, how much business can I put through certain parts of it can be very complicated. And then understanding, because the bids can get very tight, it's often that job shops will tend to bid things that technically aren't making them money because of the way that they're managing the cost side and the financial side of the business. So, David, that's kind of how I would approach the answer, maybe build off that or or move that side to side a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with any of that, Phil, and I think you kind of unpacked it. Uh, in a in a good standpoint, and a lot of the reason behind what you you know what you said in terms of what they're um, you know maybe looking at from a quoting perspective, at least in my experience, is really based around the fact that um, you know they're trying to maximize some of that utilization and spread some of that fixed cost. Uh, over some of the projects, so when you take a look at it from kind of an absorption standpoint, they're they're covering fixed cost, and so you know maybe on paper it looks like it's a wash or something, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, they're 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 getting additional contribution margin on the other projects that they're taking in, in comparison. So.
0: And and one other just quick thought on on the business model, you tend to be competing against the client's internal cost structure. So let's say you're you're a job sh- you're an outsourced job shop for a manufacturing company and there's certain things that they just don't do well, that don't fit into their process, or maybe they get really busy and they want to outsource some of that stuff to a job shop. And so you're often competing with the internal costs or you're competing with other job shops that can be very aggressive. It's hard to get margin in that environment. You have to really be good at what you're doing. But if you develop reliability with a group of clients, you can get a lot of preference. You know, so there are certain job shops that I've used or certain companies that we were job shops for other businesses. And, and we were able to, I won't say name your price, but we were able to get good margin, even though what we were doing was basically more expensive than the client doing it themselves. But it just worked for them. So, Andy, from an ERP standpoint, you know maybe now take that more from the technical side we kind of took you from the from the shop floor side
4: no that uh, i mean no that you were all you were all dead on in in my perspective the difference between a job shop and an eto manufacturer is well one of the descriptions is like you said they a job shop could be making a thousand of the same things but that's just one job yeah. at the end of the job they might not make it again and so it's always one offs but uh, common here here's a here's an assumption commonly job shops will be built to order whereas etl will be do the engineering as well
0: i think that that's a distinction it may not be 100% always no. true but i think that's a good good 80 90 80 20 yeah. 90 10 distinction yep
4: yeah i agree and 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 adding in the engineering requirements into an eto company adds in a lot more Complexity that the job shop would probably won't need.
0: Yeah, and the job shop will do some engineering, if you will, but it's more fit and finish than it is function. Right. You know, those types of functional specifications typically are going to be coming from the the client in that case, or the or who you're selling to your customer. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and Andy, from my perspective, to be honest, just to wrap things up here, and I agree with everything that you guys have already mentioned, but in my experience, yes, people talk about sort of the distinction between your engineer to order and and job shop, but I don't know if there is really really a distinction. I mean, there's going to be a lot of overlap, uh, you know, for the most part, if you look at the ERP definition, they are going to say, if you have very heavy engineering department, okay, let's make that engineer to order. If you are more of the, you have too many machines on the shop floor, okay, you are probably a contract manufacturing working, working for somebody else. Uh, but, uh, you know, it could go either ways, to be honest, and that's a very great definition. So, yes, ERP industry likes to talk about, hey, you are job shop or are you an engineer to order? Yeah. But I, from the business perspective, I don't think it's it's, it's that binary.
0: Sometimes and a job you know, shop engineering is a tough one because a job shop, they might bring you something and say, Make me this. I need I need yeah. 50 of these. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's the amount of engineering you're going to get. Yeah. Right. And,
4: yeah. and commonly, an ETO-centric manufacturer is going to be longer-term projects, like possibly a single project over months, if not years, versus a job shop will be
3: shorter runs, commonly, And after turnaround. And honestly speaking, I think this is probably the, the fundamental misassumption that a lot of job shops have. They tend to think that they are very different. If you look at any of the custom shops, you know they are going to claim that they yeah. are really different from the inventory perspective, from the scheduling. And as you know, I like to study ERP systems for a living, okay? And I really enjoy that process. So I was at literally trying to analyze every single. I, day I almost do the same thing, man. Sam. <laughs> we we do the same thing, Andy. Right? So <laughs> so here when I am trying to study our the the screens of these custom engineering shops okay they need everything that you are probably going to have in the mainstream erp system they simply structure the information differently okay so we are going to analyze all of that that they are not very different they just feel that they are different okay so and that's where the problem is and that's where all of these ERP systems, when you talk about m one when you talk about ProShop, when you talk about Genie, okay, it's just the same variant of the same thing. It's not that they require very specific functionality as you are going to require uh, in your HMAC space or you are going to require in your retail space because their planning is very different. The way their products are, that's very different. But this is hardcore manufacturing. <laughs> okay, and most ERP systems are designed for manufacturing, so there is no real distinction in my mind. But we'll see uh, once you look at the screen, then you'll you'll
0: probably. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're onto something there. I think the job shop culture is well, we never do the, we never do anything twice. Right. right, everything is unique and everything is a one-off. To Andy's point, that doesn't mean from a MRP or ERP standpoint that their
1: processes aren't manufacturing processes. That's, that's, right. that, that's the part that gets missed, Phil. You know, yep. it's still running through the same four work centers. <laughs> yeah,
3: 100%. But Phil, in my books, I call that as crossing the chasm. And I don't know whether you guys remember this from the marketing class, uh, you know, uh, business schools. If you ask any small business, irrespective of the small business is going to be a job shop. It's going to be an accounting shop, you know, ERP shop. Uh, it's going to be a retail shop. They all are going to think that we are very sustainable everything that we do is very custom in nature but there is a time and the phase in the stage of the company's growth where you have to standardize your product mix if you cannot standardize whether you are going to be a restaurant or whatever i don't care okay if you are a business you have to standardize your product mix otherwise you cannot scale we have seen this in the case of very custom shops for example stitch fix stitch fix was the most custom shop ever designed. I don't know if anybody else can pull off something like Fix uh, from the custom perspective, but now they have run into real challenges. You know know what challenges they are running into. And by the way, I mean, it's not that they are still going to be very custom. They all are trying to figure out, okay, how can I productize uh, my business? So yes, if you want to grow, you have to simplify your product. Uh,
0: yeah. And I'll and- just I'll let me add one I can't help myself, Sam. That's such a good point. The a lot of these guys are entrepreneurs. And if you and if you ask them how they got their business to the point that it's at, how they got the manufacturing capability, a lot of them will tell stories about how they took a job <laughs> that paid for them to buy the machine exactly. that they needed to do the job. And then that they had that machine or work center, then they went after more. Jobs like that, and they built out their <laughs> machine centers by taking jobs that they couldn't do at the moment they took the bid, right? Sure, and 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 so it's hard, right? It's hard to unwind that mentality once you've built your company that way.
3: Exactly, exactly. All right, guys, so we move to the slides, unless you guys have any other comments. So here we have a little history here, and I always like to pay attention to the history. What was the background of the founders? Where they came from? Because that is going to have a lot of philosophy inside your ERP system as well. By the way, uh, you know, from the look and feel perspective, this product is very Microsoft GP-like. It was built in the technology, beautiful technology, called, uh, you know, Visual Basic, and that seemed to be the most common technology in the ERP world, okay? 70% of the ERP were actually built using Visual Basic, Somewhere in 2000, everybody sort of, uh, you know, started creating these ERP systems because it was so easy to create uh, inside Visual Basic, but then you run into the real uh, programming challenge in the world of cloud. So a lot of these ERP systems are really struggling to sort of transition from that, uh, you know, Windows-based software design to the real program that is going to be, uh, you know, slightly more cloud native. So obviously these guys are struggling there as well from the transition perspective. If you look at the product right now, It's very visual, basic driven. They are claiming that they are on cloud. I'm not too sure about that, if they have anything uh, close to that. So here, the background of these guys. Probably single tenant cloud ah uh, that's going to be debatable and so i don't know how single tenant that is going to be to be honest okay the product is still very legacy
4: uh yeah, but still... they probably host it is what i'm saying right? they host it to their
0: customers yeah. i'm not that's not what i found i and i was going to ask this question of you sam i i i did not find evidence they were in the cloud i all i saw was on prem e- exactly oh, okay. exactly
3: that's what i would guess but uh and even if they are doing and and sometimes these companies are trying to figure out okay mm-hmm. how they can somehow port this code on cloud. I don't know if you have to go through VPN to access this. Most of the systems that are going to be in this category right now require some sort of VPN. So my assumption is going to be probably M1 is going to require VPN as well. That is not to say that all companies are going to require some sort of cloud native system. There are companies that are completely fine uh, utilizing VPN, uh, you know. But, you know, this is probably not going to have that. And it's definitely not going to be cloud-native. So here, the background of these guys, they came from the Microsoft world. The founders actually were Microsoft partners at my recollection. And uh, so they were selling a lot of ERP. And they figured out that the ERP that you had did not really work for manufacturers. And that's why they had to create some. And typically, when you start from that mindset, Then in most cases, it's going to be the implementation of skills utilizing the existing ERP. And sometimes you are going to be challenged because of that. And then you are sort of trying to recreate everything that the ERP system already has. So here, if you look at this particular system, it originally a distributor of software product called SMP81. And Andy, I don't know if you recall this one or not. This is like 25 years back. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> no, I don't remember that name. Okay. And so, by the way, let I me mean, see, this is very, this started in Australia. So it has very similar mindset and philosophy, the way your Pronto is going to have, okay? When we look at Pronto, you know, it was very unique, very custom from the development perspective. For some reason, these companies try to create very unique experience inside ERP. But for the most part, it just seems to be over-engineered. Uh, in my mind, um, you know, from business perspective, at least I could not see, but we'll, we'll review the screens and, 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 and find that out. So here, not the, the commentary is saying that not much is available on that product, but it seems to be shop floor machine type application. So they had background in that. They began to develop their own manufacturing software. So these were resellers uh, of a software and they started, developing their own software. And in most cases, when you are going to be looking at the reseller developed add-ons or the software, they are typically very poor in quality. And the reason for that is because these companies don't really have the software development background, the product background, that your software engineering typically requires, so the documentation is not going to be as great. The overall software architecture is not going to be as great. So that is just uh, you know the background that, that we are going to see the flavor of that on the screens as well. So here they are saying you know in 19 uh, they had released M1 in what 2000. Uh, in that same year they opened their first U.S. office in California. In 2003 they opened an office in the U.K. The target market has always been the small to medium sized manufacturing, I would think more small, not medium sized, because the way the product is designed is really for these smaller companies. They have had with a direct service model. So they were trying to sell direct. And that's the model that we have seen with Genius Global Shop, uh, because the kind of target market that these guys are serving, these guys cannot really support uh, afford. The consulting dollars and that's why you look at the trend you look at genius you look at pro shop you look at global shop they all are trying to go direct and they are trying to claim that you know what i can implement your erp in uh, ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or whatever but then you are not necessarily going through the restructuring of your data uh, cleansing of your data and really getting the value from the erp system here it's garbage in garbage out is what they say so this is probably going to be bad uh, in that kind of money. Um, so here they are saying they have lead uh, with a direct service model versus the uh, 700 clients is what you are looking at here. And I think this article is from, uh, I think this is a very old article, uh, Phil. So yeah, so I'm pretty sure they're gonna have probably more than that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, just, it looks like that's, if they're if they're reporting 2003, and then they were sold in nine oh nine so it's probably in between those exactly
4: exactly uh, sam you mentioned uh leaning more to small versus medium how do you define
3: small versus small company so i like to put a number behind that to be honest okay so um in my mind eci's target market is going to be that 5 million to i would say 20 million dollar that's always been my perspective of eci's market share. There might be companies that might be using ECI products when they might be thirty, forty, fifty million dollar. Uh, sure. But that's definitely a stretch for them.
0: Yeah, I understand. I agree. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also think of a headcount number along that question too, you know, because sometimes the revenue number can be a little deceiving depending on what they're doing. But you know, certainly less than you know, fifty, seventy people on the high end, maybe ten to fifty in there. I would think, Sam.
3: Yeah. And in my mind, I think, Phil, uh, you know, it's also going to be the process maturity, how mature you are as the organization. So typically when you are going to be 30, 40, 50 million dollars, that's where you are going to get a very seasoned CFO who is going to understand the real, uh, the way you are supposed to be doing your inventory, the way you are supposed to be doing your supply chain. And that's where the real fun starts. And they will probably bring in a real uh, ERP. The challenge with these systems, the inventory is not going to be as sophisticated, whether you talk about your PCI M1 Pro Shop, Genius, they all were designed from the perspective of a shop. And when I say shop, meaning the only thing you need to do is, as long as you can schedule these jobs... As long as you can ship, nobody cares for the accounting or the procurement or the inventory. You know, that's how these shops typically operate. They don't really understand how inventory is supposed to work in general. Okay, they somehow have figured out, you know, how to do inventory, how to do costing, but they don't really have a true sense of cost and true
4: sense of inventory in general. And and most of them are purchasing direct to the job. And so, therefore...
3: Inventory control is an afterthought. Exactly. And Phil, I don't think that none of, any of these businesses are ever going to be audited either, right? So if you you start no. auditing and that's when the real fun starts, then you know these auditors are going to question everything that you are doing. So then you have to bring in a mainstream ERP system because... Yes, you can take shortcuts, uh, you know, t- until a certain point, but once you start getting audited, that's where the real problem is. Being.
0: Well, and even before that, if is as soon as they're taking out a bank loan, that's using AR and, and uh, raw material inventory as the collateral, they're going to start caring about those because the bank is going to start caring about those. And the other thing too, is they, they tend, and this is a bit of a sweeping generalization. So any small job shops out there, you know, send the mail to Sam, but, uh, they don't, throw, they don't throw stuff away <laughs> exactly so, so it is not unusual to be rebuying something that's sitting back on some shelf all dusty that they actually have and they don't and they and they just don't remember
1: it well that's not an inventory Phil. <laughs> Bonus.
0: So, well, phil, it should be it should be
3: <laughs> on that point phil i guess you know we have one of the comment that these systems also are very poor with scrap handling so i don't know whether that is going to be treated as scrap or something else and you know technically they don't really do much of the inventory and that's why they don't consider that as a base once you start doing the real inventory FIFO, lifo, these systems don't even support that for example we are going to review eci ECI yeah. does not have all of those inventory layers that you are going to find in the mainstream. Right. And, and to your scrap point, Dave, right they're they're costing
0: the entire inventory that they bought for the job to the job. In their right. mind, what's sitting on the shelf is found money anyway. Exactly. Right. Exactly.
3: All right, guys. Um, so here some more commentary here. They began to develop their own manufacturing software in 1999 and 2000 released M1. I think we have already reviewed that. They have lead with a direct service model versus a distributed model. Today, they report to have 700, this is, uh, yeah, sure. yeah, so here, uh, this is coming from 2004, and in 2004, they had over 300 installed sites in Australia, I think this was the comment, uh, Phil, that I was referring to Australia, New Zealand, USA and Canada, Canada and the UK, those were their primary target markets uh and from the industry perspective i guess they were tar- trying to target the jobbing shops custom and mixed mode manufacturing um and again when you talk about things like mixed mode manufacturing that means your entire manufacturing <laughs> so so what is not there so i uh don't like that term at all uh to be honest but uh from their perspective they were targeting very small job shops uh that had real uh you know inventory problems or uh, the uh, process problems, um, so they were targeting all of those uh, by the way, one of the good things about this system was they were always SQL based from the beginning, so they were not like syspro or some of the other systems that we have seen, which were uh, you know file based so at least you had the SqL based uh, database, but later in the comments, we are going to review that they have data integrity issues even with SQL database uh, so again that's the the design of the software uh you know uh but again, as a customer, you are probably never going to find that uh you know because uh if the knowledge is going to reside within either m one e r p or e c i they are never going to tell you that they have data integrity issues in the background, you are going to get this issue that is going to get fixed somehow or not going to get fixed, okay, but you are never going to get an answer <laughs> that the answer <laughs> that the problem was in the software itself. And again, if you pay attention closely to these commentary, then you will know that there is a there are you know architectural issues. Um, one of the things that they had done, and this is very common in with some of the newer vendors as well, they started offering unlimited users in 2000. Okay, so one of the pitch that these companies have for these smaller job shops is going to be, hey, I'll give you unlimited users, and that is going to be view only users. That they started giving. So, obviously, the license cost is going to be lower. So, that's a very compelling pitch for these companies uh, when they are going to be looking at the software. I don't know if they still have that, but that's how they had started. We know that the same thing is uh, done by Acumatica. There are a lot of different vendors that try to do the same thing, um, you know, overall from the unlimited uh, user perspective. Then uh, they have uh, some interesting piece of functionality. For example, serial number, and the reason why they have to do serial numbers is because a lot of these job shops are either serving automotive or aerospace, and they are probably going to require the serial number functionality. Uh, So we are going to find similar layers as we found either in the case of Genius or or Pro Shop, Global Shop as well. You know, they are very similar overall. Uh, But architecturally speaking, if you look at the screen layout. Global Shop is going to have slightly superior layout. If you look at Job Boss, Job Boss has slightly better um, screens and the layout, the way ERP is supposed to be done. Only few products that are going to be focused on that custom aspect of manufacturing are going to have this kind of layout. And the examples are going to be your Genius. The second is going to be CIM1, third is going to be They have product configuration, but product configuration, if you look at the overall layout of how it is done, that it's not necessarily a configurator, you know uh it's just the same screens the way you would use the screen to be able to configure the product, for example, let's say if you are going to expose the same configurator to your customer when you have to collaborate with your customers, that's where you are probably going to be challenged so Andy, to your example about whether this is going to work in the engineer to order shops, okay, so in the engineer to order shops, typically you are going to have very heavy Engineering organization, there is going to be significant collaboration involved between your customer as well as your uh, own team, and then sometimes you might want to expose that configurator to your, um, you know, customers as well. Maybe you want to integrate uh, on your website. That is all not going to be possible uh, with this product. Okay, so that's where probably the differentiation is from the ERP perspective. That okay, this was really designed for custom shop which like to keep everything under their you know boundaries they are not going to have any sort of configurator that is going to be exposed uh to the customers so as long as you are doing that you are going to be okay uh but not for the real engineer to order uh you know shops what else do we have here
1: today? hey Sam, do, you, yeah. do you have any do you have any insight into what they may be talking about from a functionality standpoint on this uh find and replace tools to increase productivity At, i'm just curious on this screen, in uh, after the bill of material segment, it says that there is some sort of find and replace tools.
3: So that's very interesting piece of functionality, and we have seen very different flavors across the ERP systems, to be honest. Uh, but for the most part, if any system is going to be designed for manufacturing, they have really deep, uh, you know, replacement functionality. So typically, the way that is going to work is going to be okay. Let's say if you are going from your CNC milling to grinding and don't question my expertise, manufacturing expertise on that, but we are simply replacing a a manufacturing operation to something else, maybe your machine broke or something like that. And then you are trying to replicate a different process, which is probably going to have similar outcome, may not be the same quality. So you are replacing that across the jobs. Now, let's say if you're running 10,000 jobs, you need to go to each job Replace the operation you are probably doing 100 data entry per job, 100 times. You know, you know the time
1: uh, that is going to take for Here, and, you.
3: Here, have-
1: I was just going to add, I'm I'm sure because my initial thought with it was, you know, what happens from an audit trail standpoint, and and I know we talked about this size operation more than likely would never face something like that, but I, I would imagine then in kind of the mainstream functionality, there's an audit touch point when something like that is triggered so so you can track that
3: back so honestly speaking i mean you know when you are changing the bomb of your job uh you know that's a very normal process in most manufacturing organization so i am not too sure if audit is probably going to care for that because you can always go back and compare okay what was your item bomb and what was your job bomb and then what was the differentiation between these two and you know did you end up replacing but typically the job bomb and again If you have a system that does not allow you to change the job, it's probably not going to work for job shops or manufacturing to begin with.
1: Well, I I guess that's kind of where my thought was with the whole thing. And, And then you kind of tossed in an additional parameter from the standpoint of just the sheer number. I would think like. You know, if there's some significant change like that, that that might, you know, create some sort of red flag. But th- thanks for going into that.
4: Of course, this, I'll tell you, there's one paragraph or one sentence that kind of alludes to the engineer order functionality, and they say a new project management module ties together all quotes, jobs, orders, purchase, AR, and AD invoices to a specific project, assigns a project manager, tracks prod progress. Uh, creates follow-ups and integrates with Microsoft Outlook. So I'm, it's going to be interesting to see what they really do in that in that realm.
3: So, Andy, a lot of, um, you know, systems may have the project management functionality, but that is not to say that they are going to be engineered to order in my mind, okay? So right. most job shops are going to have some sort of project. Sometimes they are going to be doing custom machinery, <coughs> uh, you know, and that's going to be slightly longer, uh, you know, in a span overall in terms of, The length of the project so they would require multiple jobs inside the project because they have to do project job costing Uh, you know that's why they have the but that is not to say that this is similar to your engineer to order typically in engineer to order you have far more collaboration with the customer on the same uh, you know as you are moving through the change and then once it gets approved then it, it 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 goes to your job shop this is not really designed for that. Uh, all right, guys. So let's look at these screens. So now if you are going to look at these screens, we are going to find some very, very, very interesting trends. So one of the things that we could not figure out last time, Phil uh, and Dave, I don't know if you were there in that session. This was, uh, I believe, Sage 300 Fx. Uh, and we were wondering, okay, why do we have shipment? Okay, that is something I personally have never seen in any of the ERP system. But seems like, you know, you have shipment entry even in the case of your... Uh, you know, ECI M1. So that's a very interesting, in my mind, you know, I always like to see my sales order associated with my shipment. Why would you enter the shipment directly? Um, You know, in my mind, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but seems like, uh, you know, some ERP systems do have that.
4: Do you think it's because this is designed for make to stock and therefore they have to ship out of stock as opposed to out of whip?
3: (sighs) Not really, Andy, to be honest. I mean, in my, my mind, I think that's more of a, the data integrity issues because the the objects are not as tightly connected that's why they are able to offer they are calling it as feature but in my mind you know i just don't see much of a need unless your processes are broken dave go ahead please
1: no i i kind of agree with you sam i mean um you know i would think in andy's example that that for sure would have touched you know order entry sales wherever you want to put it but th- that would have gone through a sales order you know entry process to be generated
3: Yeah, and uh, Andy, one of the things that I noticed here, if you actually pay attention to the screens, you know, there is a little claim process that is also happening on the sales order. So maybe they don't really have that service functionality. So typically, if you look at the mainstream ERP systems, they are going to have a service module as part of your service module. If you have to do some sort of order, then you are going to be on call with customer that's a very different order and very different claim than doing the shipment. So maybe they don't have that functionality. So they have to provide that shipment entry. But in my mind, you know, I am always thinking if I'm shipping something, there has to be some sort of order. So where is that order? So why can you not start (laughs) at the order? And why do you need to sort of start from the shipment? And that's where my mind is. So I, I, I don't like it. I mean, this is really a symptom of broken post in my mind. Okay. And by the way, I mean, this is actually from 2022, as you can see the date uh so this has not changed you know these features are still there and and hopefully and most likely they are probably going to be selling <laughs> them as features um so that's very interesting now here Andy, one of the surprise that you are going to find is you know in the smaller manufacturing systems we could not really locate the dates and dates were missing even in in the case of let's say uh bigger manufacturing systems for example in four CloudSuite industrial site line, but these guys seem to be having the date and they have very strong scheduling module. And typically scheduling is going to be one of the things that most job shops really care for. So these guys can do far more intuitive scheduling. You can do the same thing with the other ERP systems as well. It's just going to be slightly different experience. It's going to require a little bit more training overall, how the inventory works, how your FIFO and LIFO layers are going to work how your costing is going to work. In this particular case, you don't have to learn all of that, but you can still do your scheduling. So that's the, the easy part. I think uh, the customers really appreciate, but you are going to get really, uh, you know, very intuitive scheduling where you're going to have all of your jobs. You can do your what-if analysis. You can, you know, change the work center, then come back and then go back uh, and change it to your master. So you have a little bit of versioning control as well. So it's very, very, very interesting the way scheduling is done in the the software.
4: Well, I mentioned earlier before we went online that uh, 20-odd years ago, the M1 product used to be the same as what Epicor was offering at the time. But the, the Epicor that we know and love today is different than the one that was 20, 25 years ago. Back then, it was designed specifically for job shops. And so if you look right here, it says a start date and a start hour. So it's you're talking about very short runs, I'm assuming, or why would they care about what hour it's starting?
3: Yeah. And by the way, one thing also you would notice that they don't have end date for some reason. So I don't right. know why they would not have end date when you have a one date. Why do you not you have start a second date? start it as soon as you can. That's the schedule. Exactly. Exactly. So it's really designed for job shops, and that's probably the reason why they don't have end yeah. date. But they seem to have date at least, you know, uh, from the visual perspective. That you are going to find date and then you are going to think that this is probably going to work for your project as well but maybe not it's really designed for job shop okay so some more things here and again it's very 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 interesting so by the way guys this is what is the item script so Andy, to your comment that it actually appeared similar to Epicor, but Epicor at least has a bomb okay the bomb is not going to be as tightly integrated you are not going to have as tight integration between your materials and operations and routing here you are probably not going to see a bomb okay the whole bomb is very confusing the way software is architected okay your configuration execution everything is just so mixed that it becomes so confusing to follow in this so when you look at the item screen it's very hard to see okay which one is bomb which one is routing which one is material <laughs> where are my transactions it's all over the place from the design perspective but you know some companies like it because that's how they like to see their data that's how they operate so they just appreciate uh you know that but again if you are doing the real inventory with your five full life layers these guys have skipped that right so you are not going to have that so again they have simplified the model a little bit but then you are missing the whole inventory uh you know from the equation it's not going to be as sophisticated they have sort of inventory is going to be afterthought thought in, in in most of these so here we have some of the things such as reorder method at the part level and not at the warehouse level so again i uh, am very confused uh you know the way the the reorder method is done at the, the part level to be honest okay and uh, they have the bin functionality they have the warehouse fun- so in my mind when i look at the manufacturing software sometimes they are not going to support that warehouse level functionality but these guys have that so ideally your reorder method has to be at the warehouse level, but just all over the place, Uh, you know, the way this is structured. They have the group and class for the part. And again, I don't know why you need to have two categories there. Uh, You can probably replicate the same functionality with your mainstream ERP systems as well. And I would question if you really need those two, Uh, but this is very, uh, you know, this is how I've done the business and this is how I want to design the software as opposed to looking at, okay, how are other manufacturing companies operating? Can I simplify my business a little bit? So that thinking has not been done in my mind.
4: Part group versus part class is a subset of one or the other, right?
3: Yeah. So the part class is going to be your hardware. The part group is going to be tooling. So it's really the classification categorization. I don't know why you need Uh, so much of categorization and classification, and most likely it is because of the underlying limitations uh, of the data structure, and they probably need this for the fields analysis. So again, it's all because of the limitations in my mind. Uh, I have seen this in the case of Genius as well that they have a lot of over-engineered fields just because they did not have that layered architecture that like most mainstream
0: offices. But but I think the the real the last screen I liked a lot. This one is looks like a mess to me. Exactly. I mean it, it, it's you know <laughs> all of a sudden I'm talking about sales tax and then the next thing I'm talking about is non physical shipment and I mean I mean yeah, it's just exactly. it's all over the
4: place.
3: Exactly. Let's plug another field in there. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so here, and again, the other problem that I saw is this is also the part screen, okay? So if I try to visualize this, okay, the left tree structure is really the tabs that I am going to see in the other ERP system. I'm okay with that, okay? You simply change the format, you know, you are showing on the left, but then why do you have GL accounts at the, uh, you know, part level? And when I see GL account sprinkled everywhere and they are not really going through my hierarchy, I have problems with that. Uh, You know, that typically means that you don't have that hierarchy that you are going to require to support the functionality. And then this is probably going to have a lot of maintenance issues, especially from the inventory and accounting. person. So, yeah, I I, I don't don't like this. And this is something I have seen in the case of Genie. We have seen this in the case of ProShop. They follow similar things. And typically the reason why they have all of this is because they are growing software as their customers are asking. Okay, I need this now. Can you implement this? So now they have implemented that. Now, the next thing they are asking. So rather than going through your whiteboard and figure out, okay, this is how the ERP data structure looks. Okay, I'm going to design a software like this. This is a very catchy way of creating your software. Ad hoc. Ad it's hoc, interesting
4: right? the comment you've you highlighted, preferred supplier for revision.
3: Why would you have a preferred supplier for each revision? So, okay, so before that, uh, why do you have revision at the, at the part level? Okay, so bombs are mis- mixed with revision. The way you're—it's just all over the place. That's all I can say. It's—it's it's really all over the place. A the warehouse feature revision too. Yeah, yeah, Weird. Yeah, yeah, and this is something that we have seen in the case of Pro Shop as well. For example, let's say if you look at the contact hierarchy. So you are going to have accounting contact, coding contact, and again, uh, you know, this seems to be the symptom of okay, this is the contact that I typically work with. I want to have this field, uh, you know, right here. I'm not going to worry about my hierarchy. The way uh, you know hierarchy is going to work. Uh, you know, and you are going to have a lot of issues when you are working with these structured customers that are going to have multiple ship tools, multiple bills. then how are you going to do all of that? It's going to be really, really challenging to scale when you are going to be working with those customers. So again, this is very simplified way of thinking. Okay, I need accounting contact, put it on the sales order. <laughs> uh, then uh, shipments directly on the sales order, that's really strange for me to be honest, okay? So I don't know why you have that. Uh, that means, are you not going to have one-to-end scenario, but then they can do one-to-end scenario differently uh, later in, in the process. So I don't know why you have shipments directly. On, um, so that's another red flag for me. Uh, scheduling is, is is very interesting the way they have done. They have a lot of what scenarios, and this is probably what every job shop likes uh, because this is what they are going to be doing a lot. And scheduling is one area, where these ERP systems really like to emphasize that, okay, we do one of the best scheduling and that's why you should be ERP. Scheduling is great, but typically that is going to be a function of everything from your inventory, from your procurement. It's not just the scheduling scheduling that is happening on the shop floor. So make sure you guys are paying attention to that. That's a good trick done in sales demos. Yeah. Here, again, the way your cycle counting is done. So cycle counting is, this one is the cycle counting. So cycle counting is done based on your warehouse. So they have warehouse. They also have bin structure. So again, if you have bin, then you would require very thick and comprehensive inventory functionality. But where is that? We don't have really strong inventory functionality. But then you have warehouse and bin. I was thinking that probably these job shops are not going to have as busy warehouse. They are not going to worry about maintaining inventory. As soon as they are going to get a job, they are going to pick up the phone and they are going to order the inventory. But that's not the case because they have to count as well. So If you have to count, why not go for something like mainstream then going for this one so yeah so they need everything that a manufacturer is going to require it's just that they just don't feel that they can learn the the concepts of the the mainstream erp and that's why they they like to go for this one but then once you structure your data in this fashion you are going to get significant migration migration issues and that is always a red flag for me okay what are you going to do when you are going to move from your genius to a mainstream erp your ECI M1 to mainstream ERP. It's completely <laughs> exactly, exactly. You have to spend a lot with consultants to restructure <laughs> yeah. your data and you have to relearn <laughs> the habits the way your mainstream ERP is going to be doing these.
4: Well, if you look at they have the cell accounting by warehouse, by warehouse, in location, part class, part group, I guess, and yeah. preferred supplier and nothing says abc codes
3: well so i don't think these job shops are going to be doing anything related to no ABC they wouldn't that
4: that's that's exactly yeah this was obviously an add-on somebody complained and they put it on the side
3: um now if you look at their again if you look at the ar ap processes they are very similar to any other organization they have a way of consolidating the way they are doing attachment for each of the email it's really slick okay the way e- ar can accomplish their job. So AR, AP functionality, if you look at it, it's one of the best that I have seen that the only thing you really need to do is, okay, here are the shipments that I am trying to, okay, I'm going to click one button and that is going to give me all of my invoice and it's also going to generate the email and each of the emails that's going to have its own attachment. So as AR, this is beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> if you really think about it. But the way they are accomplishing this is is, is slightly different. Uh, you know, I just don't like it because of those inventory layers um, that you are skipping from the from the data setup
4: perspective. And their third person uh, on the audit trailer, Mr. Spill
3: Booze. That sounds like a pretty good uh, employee. Yeah, yeah. It has to come from Andy. A lot of fun. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> okay, guys, so this is the screen of the uh, comparison. Let's say if you are going to compare this with... Uh, other single tenant uh, you know, products that you had mentioned, Andy. So here you are logging into a database. When you are logging into a database, that means you are going to be similar to your Syspro, you are going to be similar to your Microsoft GP. It's probably going to be Apicore Eclipse as well. If I remember in that, you were logging to a terminal. Okay, you are not even logging into a database. <laughs> so, uh, so depending upon where you are logging into, that can define you know, what they might be using underneath. <laughs> in this particular case, this is probably going to be a. So, this is the process, of, you know, swapping Dave that I was trying to mention. So, it's really slick the way it works. But all of this you can do with in Infor. It's just that the the experience is going to be slightly different, and you know, uh, these job shops are going to feel, you know, what that's not how I do things. <laughs> Okay, don't have anything else on this one. So let's look at some of the reviews here. So one of the things that we concluded that you know the user experience is very confused. So let's validate what our users are saying. So here we are looking at roughly 15, 51 to 200 employees, machinery, they have used this for more than two years, which is right around uh, that, that bucket that I mentioned uh, of their target market. So here they are saying the software is not the most user friendly for a sizable chunk of our end users. Customers with limited computer experience find the interface difficult to use outside of tasks they perform regularly. This issue are largely easily solved by regular attention from the software administrators or super users. So if you are going through that regular flow, this is going to be great. And this is the point, guys. Okay. Typically, your mainstream ERP systems are going to be really good at accommodating all of these scenarios. That a lot of businesses are going to this is very custom-built for a very specific workflow. So as long as you are doing that, you are going to be okay. You deviate even 5% from that, <laughs> you are not going to enjoy. So make sure you pay attention. And by the way, this is coming in 2019. So it's very new. It's not that they have changed anything. The product has not been re-architected. I don't care whether it is going to be cloud native or on-prem, but the way your product experience is going to be, the way your users are going to be moved from one screen. To the next you need to pay attention to that so i'll cover one more review here and then you can open up for the commentary this is coming from 2016 the accounting functionality and processes can be cumbersome uh, it does get the job done incorporating a fifo system with real-time cost of goods sold entry it does get the job co- job done incorporating a fifo system with a real-time cost of goods sold entry would be uh, much more advantageous. So they are not getting the real-time cost. That's what uh, you know. this particular user is complaining. He or she may have come from a real ERP and they sort of know how the real cost of goods sold works, You know how your costing works. So here, this particular user is not getting that. And obviously, that's going to be the underlying limitation. Uh, and that's why they are not able to do that. It's sort of going to be there. It's going to be an estimate, but it's not going to be a real cost because you need those inventory layers. To be able to do your item costing to be able to do your job costing so that is not going to be available and that's what is frustrating this particular user that you know you don't really have that as part of this so okay so i'm actually going to stop there and i'm going to open up for the commentary uh, that you guys might have i'll, uh, I'll kick go I'll
1: ahead yeah i was going to kick things off just because um i did a little bit of digging on that um that shipment process And I was able to find, again, this for a different vendor, but I I think the kind of logic behind it uh, stands to reason. So I want to share this with you guys. Uh, But basically what they're saying is that the shipment process functionality is happening, not that it's completely separate than a sales order process. It's actually tied back to a sales order process. So the scenario that they've laid out in this particular example is, uh, let's say in some sort of custom packaging environment where you maybe have uh, one shipment created, but maybe breaks down into three separate boxes. Instead of at order entry or sales entry, understanding that you know that it's going to break down into that, they can actually go into that sales order, break it down, and and uh, handle that shipment functionality from that scene.
3: Yeah, but Dave, that's not a new or unique process that is supported by most ERP systems. Typically, you don't have to enter the data again. The only thing you need to select is, okay, select this line, goes to this shipment. Select this line, goes to this. These many lines goes to this shipment. So shipment entry is a red flag in my mind. Why are you doing the entry? Meaning either there is a disconnection with your sales order to your shipment or something is going. Yeah.
4: One of the things I found very interesting in the very last screen you showed, Sam, now granted that screen was dated 2016, (laughs) the customer comment, but it said it didn't handle FIFO actual costing, only average, standard, or last cost. Now, that would be really... Interesting for a job shop because you, normally a job shop wants FIFO
3: actual cost. So one of the things that you may have noticed, Andy, on that slide, it's not even your LIFO costing when you say last cost. I don't know what that means from the accounting perspective. To be honest, eh? <laughs> last cost of something, I really don't know. I mean, see, I think it's the, the have...
4: last time you received it, whatever the cost right. was. Typically, that's not a purchased
0: item, but yeah. that's not a that's that's still. That, that's it's it, that's super incomplete. That whole that whole way, that whole sentence is extremely an odd match because yeah. back to this particular package, if I judge them where they live, which is where you started, Sam, selling to small size job shop organization, I'm not sure I'm not sure they're nailing their own their own thing
3: exactly and uh, it,
0: it, and and the way it's built i i don't have the technical side like you like like you do but the the way it presents itself is cobbled together to exactly. me it doesn't present itself as okay these guys really get job shop and they nailed it it's like these guys are living in job shop but they're kind of got all this other stuff going on i i did not get a you know usually i walk out of these saying okay as long as they stay in their lane okay i would consider them I'm not sure I'm happy with these guys in their lane. So maybe they're sure Yeah, it's it's it was it's an odd looking package. Too.
1: I think that's some of the challenge of going direct, though, Phil. When when you start to see these you know cobbled together situations, it's 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 the result of engaging with particular job shops that have particular set of functionality. And back to I think a comment that you made, Sam. Instead of this being an opportunity to you know look at your processes. Fully understand them, and you know, kind of take the greater good of of other people's processes. You know, when you're doing a full blown implementation with the mainstream system, they are looking at it and saying, "Well, I want it to be able to do this." And because you know, they're they're more than likely trying to sell the job, they say, "Well, sure, we can do that." And then it becomes a a bit of a bolt on that's really you know. In and of itself, but I, I think that's why you end up seeing some of, you know, like those screens, I mean, you know, kind some of those, all over the place,
0: some of those very are the atypical,
1: net. Yeah. And I go back to things that we've said in the past, right? You don't know what you don't know. So if you're a, a job shop, that is, you know, running together already on a couple of cobbled together systems, and you sit through one of these demos. And you 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 know they hit on those pain points of scheduling, or you know, hey, look how quickly you can change out operations if you need to. We got right. this really slick functionality. All of a sudden, you're you're thinking to yourself, oh wow, I I think this is really going to help. Does us. everything
4: else, obviously. Yeah,
1: right.
3: Um, <laughs> and the the sad part in this equation is going to be most of these companies, the way they sell and they operate, they are going to tell these job shops, you don't know what you are doing. I am going to teach you the software. Yes. This is how the software works, and now they are teaching the wrong things, which is just, you know, not good in my yeah, You know, it's it's interesting when
4: M1 first came out, which is a lot of years ago now, but when they first came out, their marketing strategy was very unique because they didn't have a lot of customers. So they had a message board for M1 customers, and it would always be incredibly favorable and really, really positive and excellent support. And that's where they led perspective company to prove that it was great software and great support and all that kind of stuff. They don't do that anymore. They don't introduce their customer, their prospective customers to those message boards anymore. So that implies things are not
0: quite as rosy as they once were. And it comes back to the model, David. I, I, I happen to really think the si model and, and the distribution model has a, a ton of value yeah. you get some level of independence of thinking and you get a full-time connection to customers versus part-time connection to customers and part-time building software and this one really shows where how limiting
1: it can be when you are only selling the software direct yeah and i i mean imagine you know putting your entire operation on this uh, and this is your livelihood <laughs> What happens when it goes down? Yeah, Who do you call? Yeah, this one was a little scary. You
3: know? <laughs> All right, guys. So I can take some more short comments. We are close to our time now. Any, any more? We're time? good, I think. Good session, Sam. All right, guys. Um, so that's a wrap. Uh, if you joined for the first time, this was part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one vendor or the solution. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another solution or the vendor. On that note, thanks, everyone, for your time and insights. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Phil Kutler, head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's R-I-N-G-L-I-N-G-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the Club. It's D-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about NDE practical, head over to com. It's E-S-S-O-F-T dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Matt Goosey from MRS Machining, who discusses the challenges associated With manufacturing complex parts in short runs also the interview with brian kippen who shares his insights on robotic cell technology and how that can be implemented to increase capacity also don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds if you have any questions or comments about the show please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or dm me on any social channels i'll try my best to respond personally and make sure